Well, good morning, everyone. Good morning. Good morning. All right, all right. Better. <laughs> Sweet. Yeah. Let us go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we need you. Yeah. We need to hear your word today, Lord. Lord, we need to hear your truth proclaimed. Lord, we need to know what you have to say. So we pray that you open our eyes and our hearts to receive the truth of your word, that your word saturates our minds and hearts and gives us a greater love for you and a greater love for people. Fill us with your spirit and wisdom even now, Lord. Rid us of any distractions that may come to hinder us from hearing your word proclaimed. Mm. Deposit into our souls your truth. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, I missed y'all. That was about, thank you. That was about about the same response I got at home. I I told my wife, I said, uh, I'm uh, I'm gonna miss you. And she goes, Brother, you're only going to be gone for two days. So, but uh, in all seriousness, uh, I, I missed y'all. Uh, when you miss uh, being here and you miss the saints, it does something to your soul. Last week, I, uh, last week around this time, I spent some time in Henderson, Nevada. And uh, one thing that seemed to be a common goal in the casino was one word, prosperity. In fact, prosperity and success was not limited to this trip, but has affected all of us one way or another in America. We may not play the lottery, however, If we hear on the news that the Powerball has reached 900 million, the thought of, hmm, a $5 ticket wouldn't hurt. Prosperity has been synonymous in our country with money and success. Take this quote from the late John D. Rockefeller, when he says, how much money does it take to make a man happy? Just one more dollar. (laughs) Sit with that for a moment. In essence, what he is saying is man is never satisfied unless he has one more dollar. It shows the priority and idol of prospering in one's life. But prosperity hasn't been viewed only in a secular capacity. But there has been questioning surrounding it in the church as well. Well, what do I mean? Prosperity teachers. However, I would hope and pray many of us know 
that God's goal for our lives is not to make us healthy, wealthy, and happy. We know, or at least we should know, that when one pastor says, well, you need to hear about money because you ain't gonna have no love and joy and peace until you get some money, that this isn't true. But perhaps, just perhaps, some of you here today may be more concerned with, am I prospering as a Christian? What does prospering as a Christian look like? Are there examples in the Bible that I can follow? Well, the elder seeks to give us seeks to give us these answers to these questions as he provides for us three approaches aiding us in prospering as Christians. Three approaches. He does this by directing us to approach number one, and that is by believing the truth. We find that in verses one and two. By walking in truth, Find that in verses three and four, and by supporting the truth, and find that in verses five through eight. Believing the truth, walking in truth, and supporting the truth. He gives us an example with a friend in the church named Gaius. Read with me. Turn with me in your Bibles to Third John, and read with me. As I read aloud, Third John, Third John, starting at page ten twenty six in your Bibles. Verses one through eight. The elder to the beloved guides, whom I love in truth. Beloved, I pray that it all may go well with you and that you may be in good health as it goes well with your soul. For I rejoiced greatly when the brothers came and testified to your truth, as indeed you are walking in the truth. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. Beloved, it is a faithful thing you do in all your efforts for these brothers, strangers as they are, who testify to your love before the church. You will do well to send them on their journey in a manner worthy of God. For they have gone out for the sake of the name, accepting nothing from the Gentiles. Therefore, we ought to support people like these that we may be fellow workers for the truth. The elder begins like this. The elder. The root of this word is where we get our word presbyter. It can refer to someone who is advanced in age or it can refer to the pastor of a local assembly. 
It communicates the author who is writing this letter is in a position of authority or great dignity. This is official communication. Quite like at the top of the president's letters, you may read from the desk of the president of the United States. Ancient Greek letters would start with who is the author. Now the question is, who is the elder? Historical accounts would point to the elder being the apostle John, who is in this season of life, he, he, he's advanced in age, he is seasoned rightly, he is the writer of the Gospel of John, 1 John, 2 John, and Revelation. Now, how do we know that? The language, style, and general outlook have numerous similarities. Next, the elder identifies who the recipients are. He says, in this case, to the beloved Gaius, the dearly loved, prized, valued Gaius. This is an affectionate regard. It's very encouraging to receive a letter and it starts, you are loved, you are prized, you are valued. When is the last time you have told someone you are valued? Little is known about Gaius. However, it was a common name shared by several men in Acts chapter 19, Acts chapter 20, and 1 Corinthians chapter 1. However, this isn't just any relationship that he shares with Gaius. Gaius is the one, he says, whom I love in truth. John has an agape love. A deep, self-sacrificial love, a love only Christ displays. And this love can only be found in truth. Agape love is the love consistent with the Christian walk. It is in truth, an actual reality. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus says, he is who is factual. A Christian brother's love because both men believe the truth about who Christ is. Christ is absolute truth. He is love, and the love John gives is only found Christ. He continues in verse 2 with, Beloved, I pray that all, that all may go well with you. Again, he addresses him, notice, the second time as beloved. And he prays. He communicates with God. He intercedes and makes requests to God that all may go well with you. He prays that Gaius may prosper. 
He prays Gaius would succeed, that things would turn out well. He would do well in whatever he puts his hand to. He adds, if you notice, and that you may be in good health. Wait a minute. Not only does John pray that he succeeds in various aspects of his life, and it could include financially or materially, but also that he would be in good health. Friends, I want you to know that there is nothing inherently evil about doing well financially, having wealth or good health, or praying that other people succeeds in these areas. Amen. However, our tendency is to go to the extreme because we don't want to identify ourselves with prosperity advocates within the American church. We don't want to pray for others to prosper and have good health for fear of sounding like individuals whom we have seen on TVN or identify with the prosperity movement within Christianity. But here's where prosperity advocates get it wrong. Our life in Christ is not solely about material or financial gain or good health. All right. This is where it is taken out of context. Physical prosperity should not be the sole purpose of our pursuits with God. And when this verse is quoted, they usually don't emphasize when he says next. As it goes well with your soul. As your soul prospers. Your inner being. As your soul prospers, I pray that you have good health and physically prosper and, and essentially succeed. As Gaius carries out the mission of Christ, the elder prays that Gaius's physically well-being is fine as well as the spiritual. The word for soul here is psyche, which refers to inner life. Now, this isn't a guarantee. As the Apostle Paul was an example of one who endured much hardship in ministry pursuits, he learned to be content in whatever circumstance he was in. But nevertheless, the elder prayed for Gaius to do well in every aspect of his life. Quite often, we overlook the physical solely for the spiritual. However, from this verse, we can see the physical is important. A preacher is limited if he is physically sick and can't speak because of a sore throat. He needs to be in good health All right. to carry out what God has called him to do. Amen. And in some respects, it is important that we eat well-balanced meals, get enough rest and exercise. We want to see members of this congregation prosper in every aspect of their lives. Our desire is not simply just for people to grow spiritually. That's good. 
But also, if you have an ailment or arthritis and it is giving you pain, we want to pray for that as well. We want you all to do well, to get raises on your jobs, but to keep things in their proper perspective. Getting a raise and improving one's fitness is fine. However, they were only as beneficial as one's soul prospers. If you neglect your soul, other areas of your life will be affected as well. The neglect of one's soul will cause the other areas of one's life to be out of balance. Neglecting the eternal for the temporal. Focusing solely on health and wealth will leave one's priorities unbalanced. One's spiritual health should be top priority. Amen. Gaius was prosperous because he believed the truth. The truth was of first importance in his life. He believed and trusted who Jesus said he was. His soul prospered because he believed the truth. Amen. Question is, do you know who is the truth? In what ways this week have I denied the truth? Have you believed lies this week? The elder knew Gaius' faith was evident. He believed the truth. And we have looked at the first approach of a truly prosperous Christian, and that's first by believing the truth. Now let's look at the second approach by walking in truth. Look with me now in verses 3 and 4. John continues with 4, or let me explain. I rejoiced greatly. I was exceedingly glad when the brothers came those in Christ came. They were coming to give a praise report. They were coming to do some sanctified gospel. All right. They went to where the elder was and testified to your truth. That is, they bore witness, and it was evident amongst others in the church, hey, Gaius is a Christian. Amen. He is faithful. And look at the heart of the pastor here. He was glad to hear of Gaius' soul prospering. It is one thing for one person, the pastor, to notice, but it brings even more joy when other people can see it as well. It is a joy as a pastor to hear when members here are growing in Christ. question that we return to, can others testify to your faith in Christ? Are you known more for your faith in Jesus or for your social commentary, ideologies, and other opinions about life? In fact, let's take it a step further. Can your enemy say, yes, we disagree on a number of things but one thing about blank, I know they believe in Jesus. 
what can people testify about you? I read recently about a man who had one of the most popular TV shows of all time. And I did some research, and I didn't know that he was a lawyer and a politician. Yet when asking others what they remembered most about him, it wasn't about the good things he did in life as a lawyer and a politician. It was more centered around the sinful debauchery and immorality filling many of our minds on the television show. One person said, every episode of this show is based on humiliating and degrading other people That's right. and profiting on their pain and humiliation. Even animals don't treat each other this bad. And this is what this man was remembered for. The Christian life is not simply about saying the right things. Judas said the right things. But true prosperity in the Christian life not only involves proclaiming the truth, but living the truth. John adds, as indeed you are walking. That is, he carefully and consistently lived out his life in what? In the truth. He lived out what he believed. He lived according to what Jesus has said about him. Notice, it isn't multiple truths. It isn't truth according to how I feel. It is the definite article for our English majors. It is the truth. It isn't fluid. And listen, we are in a day and age when the culture tends to say my truth or your truth, referring to however they feel at the moment. One brother recently said, honest moment, I get annoyed when people say my truth or your truth. Fire is hot as ice is cold. That's just the truth, not mine or yours. It is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. Gaius had correct doctrine. He had correct swag. He had orthodoxy and orthopraxy. He knew that his proclamation must, must match his profession that his declaration must match his demonstration. If your doctrine is correct, it will display itself in your actions. Amen. What you believe will come out in your behavior. You simply can't say that you are a baseball player but never practice baseball. All right. You can't say that you are a chess player but never play chess. As the same, you can't say that you are a Christian and not live out the commands and instructions of Jesus perfectly. But you say, I can't live them out perfectly. But friends, this is why Jesus came. He knew you and I couldn't uphold the righteous standards in order to have fellowship with the Father. And so he gave his life. He gave his life so that we could live. He was crucified so you don't have to die, but that you can truly live in him. He knows that, that 
You and I aren't perfect. But every day, we should be seeking to live our lives more like him. Amen. Live your life proclaiming Christ and him crucified, not wanting to bring any reproach on the name of Christ. When you die, you want to be known for not only believing the truth, All right. but walking in the truth. As I mentioned earlier, one of the common slogans today is live your truth. How you feel at the moment is true according to you. If you feel like Oprah, then your truth is accurate. If you feel like Jerry Seinfeld, then hey, you possibly can tell jokes just like him. If your truth tells you this, this is who you are, then believe it. Because this is how you feel. A man went into a Tesla car dealership one day, came across the salesman. He told the salesman, I want to purchase a car. My name is LeBron James. Salesman looked at him with a frown. He knew LeBron was about 6'8", 250-plus, swole. He said, sir, the NBA player? man said, yes, I'm he. I feel like I am LeBron James. Salesman rolled his eyes and said, okay, well, if you want, to, if you want this car, we need to run your credit. Man goes ahead, he gives gives all of his information, his driver's license, his social security number, etc. He begins to type this man's information into the computer. Man had the biggest smile on his face, obtaining the Tesla he always dreamed of, until the salesman looked up from the computer. He said, sir, you may say and proclaim that you are LeBron James, but the truth is, this bad credit score is calling you a liar. <laughs> we can't provide you with this car. Friends, what you believe must match your life. This man believed he was LeBron James, but his credit score sure didn't match his proclamation. If you say that you believe in the truth, you must also walk in the truth. Look with me now in verse four. I have no greater joy. John has so much joy. Nothing else brings him more joy, he says, than to hear. That is, people have been sharing, telling, and bearing witness that my children now, there isn't any indication that John was married or had any children. These would be what we refer to as spiritual children. Those whom he may have discipled, planted seeds, water, as God gave the increase. He has heard his children are walking in the truth. They not only believed the gospel, so it wasn't just Gaius, it was others around him. They not only believed the gospel, they were honoring God's commands, but they were walking it out. 
They are living it. And this is what may have triggered John to write the letter. He has been exceedingly encouraged by Gaius and others have been consistent people of integrity and it's on display. Family, you may not realize this, but people are watching you. God is watching you. Amen. Seeing if you are not just a hearer of the word, but a doer of the word as well. Gaius and friends believed the truth and lived it. What does it mean to walk in the truth? It means that you are living by the standard of God's word. It means living your life in accordance with God's word. And when you don't, when scripture is not explicit, you have a community of believers around you to help counsel you through. It means applying God's word to your life, living in light of the gospel, living each and every day, knowing there was one who died for your sins. Looking for his presence in your everyday life. Now, many of us may start with reading the word, praying and fellowshipping with other believers. This is good. But what about other areas? Here are some to consider. How is my response when someone cuts me off in traffic? Anger or grace? Television. Am I looking for redemptive patterns or am I being entertained by sin? And some things aren't sinful, but some things aren't profitable either. Is it healthy for me spiritually? Am I seeing the beauty of God in sports? Am I seeing how he has equipped these individuals to give him glory and perform at high levels? Money. Where are my finances devoted to? Have I been stingy with my money, my time, my resources? Have I been giving to the poor? Music. What is this or that artist communicating and how does it line up with the word of God? Politics. How do I respond when someone votes differently than me? Time. Am I making the best use of my time for the days are evil? These are just a few things among many because walking in truth affects your entire life. Even with cultural issues. Am I more informed by the truth or by the lies of the world? The last number of years, I've heard so much about this is going to destroy the church. That is going to destroy the church. But the truth is, Christ said, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not prevail. God has and will continue to preserve his church. Amen. Truth involves itself in every area of our lives. So often. We walk not in truth, but in lies. And some of us, we live as if we are the truth instead of Christ. We are honest. All of us this past week 
have walked in a lie, one way or another. Well, what lies? The lies of the world, the lies of our flesh, and the lies of Satan. And sometimes it's not even verbal. Sometimes it's internal. Here's an example. The Lord won't save them. They are too evil. You may not say this verbally, but you're thinking it. I don't look like that, therefore I'm ugly. But you were created in God's image and likeness. He created you with beauty and with dignity and with honor. If I can only keep working countless hours, I can get to the financial security my heart longs for. You know what? I don't like the sin in him and her. I may have sinned, but I didn't do what they did. We call ourselves Christians, but does our life match our doctrine? We say we believe in grace, but boy, we are hard on folks. We must seek the Lord in order to walk in truth. We must seek him like David when he says in Psalm 86, 11, Teach me your way, O Lord, that I may walk in your truth. Unite my heart to fear your name. Family, we need to pray earnestly. Lord, help me to walk in your truth. Help me to fear your name. Help me to evaluate the different areas of my life. Help me to rejoice always, to pray unceasingly, and in everything give thanks. To share the gospel with others. To assist by giving my time, money, and resources to the poor, to help widows and orphans, to love my neighbor as myself. Much more can be added. But when we walk in truth, because of what Christ has done and the change occurring in us, we can be a light to a dark world. We have looked at how one can be a prosperous Christian by believing the truth, by walking in truth. And now let us look at the last approach by supporting the truth in verses five through eight. Verse five, for the third time, John says, beloved, boy, he is softening this brother up, <laughs> beloved. It is a faithful thing. It is a trustworthy thing. You all are acting loyally. That you do in all your efforts, in everything you accomplish, that is, for these brothers. Apparently, Gaius did something for other believers of the Lord Jesus Christ. We find out what that something else is when he says strangers as they are. These believers were strangers. You remember stranger danger. Aliens. Brethren foreign to Gaius. They were traveling Christian workers. Gaius didn't know them personally. And what we would call them today are missionaries. And the work Gaius did was 
commended by the elder. Well, what did he do? He showed them hospitality. They weren't long lost acquaintances, but Gaius used discernment to know that they weren't false teachers. He welcomed them. Hospitality is shown when we welcome other brothers and sisters in the faith who are traveling through for the sake of the name. And what Gaius provided was known before the entire local assembly. These brothers, verse 6 says, who testify. They bore witness. They acknowledged before others to your love before the church. Guys, these brothers told of your self-sacrificial love towards them. They acknowledged your services and faithfulness to them and to our Lord. Gaius, you not only proclaim the truth, but it is demonstrated in how you loved others. He continues with, you do well to send them. Word in Greek actually conveys the thought of sending on one's way with food, money, arranging for companions, means of travel, setting up for arrangements. It could also include, as an extension to our day, welcoming over a meal someone to your house or inviting them out for coffee. It may not be everything on this list, but this is the kind of loving hospitality one shows to strangers. You are, a tr you are treating a person you don't really know as if you know them. However, here's what we do. You ready? When we read James, we think partiality only extends towards different classes or ethnic lines. But it also shows and displays itself in how we treat strangers who are believers and as an extension, strangers, period. Often, we don't treat strangers as we do other people that we know. You do well to send them on their journey in a manner worthy of God. Send them on their way with the necessary resources fitting for those who are serving a living God. Be ready to provide for them or others. Be ready. A lot of times we don't show hospitality because folks jumping on our couches and messing up our stuff. But John says, be ready to provide for them and others. One way we can get involved as a church is when missionaries come to our church seeking ways we can help to provide for their needs. Looking at different trusted missionary agencies and organizations to pray about who is in need on how we can help support. All of us know we could, we could take a, 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 a small bit of our income and support missionaries. You can do it with cheese, not on your Whopper for one week. <laughs> we can support people like Nia, who came a few weeks ago, or Alex and Brittany Woods, 
or even the North American Mission Board. Strangers have come to the doors of this church. The question is, are we eager to assist them in whatever they need, both spiritually and physically? There are numerous ways in which we as a church today, as a church body, can use our resources to help other believers and further the spread and the mission of the gospel. Verse seven says, for they, these strangers, these individuals who are foreign to you, they have gone out for the sake of the name. These unashamed believers have traveled from place to place. They have moved around for the sake or on behalf of the name. They have moved around for the sake of Christ. Their motivation was right. They were faithful proclaimers of the Lord Jesus Christ. That means their sole focus and intent when they were moving was not necessarily on how can I gain this income or how can I gain that, but more of how can we further the cause of Christ? They were faithful proclaimers. And John adds, accepting nothing from the Gentiles. They didn't take any money from the Gentiles. The word for Gentiles is highlighted here as being a, dis a distinction referring to the unbelieving, the worldly, or the ungodly. It would be the equivalent today of missionaries taking money from the world. They didn't accept any resources or support from the government. Why? Because accepting resources from the Gentiles could bring about possible temptation from those who aren't Christians to compromise. How's this instructive for us? Family, let's be generous with our finances and our resources. These strangers, these missionaries, they received no help from the pagans and were completely dependent upon, guess who? The church. They trusted God would supply all of their needs. And it is an act of faith when one steps out for the sake of Christ, trusting God will provide everything. And lastly, verse 8. Therefore, in light of everything I have just said, to summarize, we to. We are obligated to support, to take under our care people like these, people who leave everything, jobs, family, houses, etc., for the sake of the truth. And the immediate context is missionaries, but as an extension, your very pastors have been recipients of there have been churches who have supported Omar and I in numerous ways, financially, prayer, books, tuition, you name it, in order to get trained for the work of the ministry. Amen. It has been amazing to see. It will bring you tears to hear some of the stories of how people leave everything for the sake of Christ and how the body of Christ comes around them, providing everything. 
I remember when I first went to seminary, I, was, I couldn't believe we were giving up everything. I thought we was going back to, to college days with ramen and spam. And there was a sweet couple that met us on our first day. And they took us to the Cheesecake Factory. Glory! <laughs> but it just shows how the church comes around. And it didn't have to be Cheesecake Factory. But they provided us with the meal. Our church supports organizations that assist in planting churches in both North America and internationally. This is all well and good, but let us excel still more. We can also get involved on individual levels as well. When we support missionaries and people like these, you know what you are? John says that we may be fellow workers for the truth. You are participating in the expansion of the gospel. You are helping to spread the good news of Jesus Christ. You are furthering the cause of the truth. You are supporting the truth. I remember I used to tell some of our supporters, I'm not here in because of my own abilities or gifts that God has given me. I am here and I am strengthened through the prayers and the financial support of the people. Because not only were we going out, but they were supporting the cause of the gospel to go forward. When you become a co-worker or a co-laborer of the gospel, you're in good company. You join the names of Prisca, Aquila, Timothy, Apollos, Titus, Clement, the Corinthians, and the list goes on and on as all of these individuals were listed as co-laborers or co-workers of the faith. One approach in being a prosperous Christian is supporting the truth. Now, we have looked at three approaches that will aid us in prospering as Christians. You wanna, you wanna prosper as a Christian? Believe the truth, walk in the truth, and support the truth. But you got to know the truth. So let's do some self-examining. Am I prospering as a Christian? Well, how's my hospitality? Am I greeting others? Am I showing love to strangers? Or do I look right past someone in need on the street because I got the truth right? Is there some unaddressed sin in my life that I need to do some soul searching with God? Hospitality includes greeting, but it also involves caring about the basic needs of people physically and spiritually. <clears throat> One caveat here. <clears throat> Prospering as a believer is not an overnight thing. As believers, we grow slowly over time. Growth indicates it is a process, Amen. a work of sanctifying us, sanctifying us. And this is only what the Lord can do inside of our hearts. Don't leave here today with thinking, oh, if I start doing this, it will immediately happen. No. Pray. Seek the Lord. 
Look for areas in your life needing improvement. Seek the counsel of others. Trust God with the results. Because one can prosper in the physical, but how is prospering doing with the spiritual? Our Lord says in Mark chapter 8, verse 36, for what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? Prospering isn't wrong, but am I prospering in the areas most pleasing to our Lord? Amen. Let us pray. Father, we do thank you for this example today. This example of Gaius, who not only believed the truth, he walked in the truth, but he also supported the truth. Lord, may that be named among us. May we believe the truth. May we believe what your word says. And when there are, are, are certain things, Lord, that we're not quite clear on, would you put others around us to help us to walk in the truth? Lord, all of us in some way have believed lies. Please forgive us. Please open our eyes and help us to see the areas needing improvement in our lives so that we may prosper as believers. Not an overnight thing, Lord, but as we look back over our lives, we can see that you have been working in us. Please help us to remember that. And as we prepare our hearts to take the Lord's Supper, Lord, please help us to repent in areas where we have fallen short. Take and believe that your, that your Son is Lord and Savior over every area of our lives. We thank you for this time today. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.